encountering the texture of the text of God's Word, text and context. I took him for, did I take him? I feel like I took him. I'm pretty sure I took Brent. I'm not absolutely sure. Uh, oh, I took Brent. I don't know. Uh, uh, hmm, did I? Um, my brain is, my brain. I don't know, maybe. It would have been an undergrad and that would have been, woo! A long time ago, six years ago. Feels like a long time ago. Alright, I'm going to finally begin. Right. On the days we provide snacks, it's always a weird hodgepodge. And then I got to talking. It got me interested in Bible nerd things. Uh, well, we are in uh, Mark chapter 11. We're at the so-called cleansing of the temple. Maybe the cursing of the temple might be a better rendition of it. Um, so Mark 11, we'll start in... well. 12. We, so I was gone last week, uh, and we were talking about this before I left, so we might have to do some refreshing. But uh, before I hop in, let me pray, and then we'll talk about Mark 11. Lord God, as we open our Bibles, would you open also our head and our hearts and our hands? In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, do you remember our discuss uh, last time? Okay, whenever we discussed the fig tree and, and the temple last time, we got off on all sorts of history obscurities last time, talking about like the destruction of the temple in AD seventy, and, and then we started talking about like the Turks <laughs> and taking the putting the Dome of the Rock and all sorts of fun stuff. But um, yeah, the Turks didn't take the Dome. Of the the Turks did not take. Yeah, we we established this, but that I'm, was like very shortly after the establishment of Islam. Yeah, it was. It was, I was surprised how early on it was. We're not going back down this rabbit hole, Micah. Don't get me started again. I'm just saying. Let's, uh, not, let's not blame the wrong ethnic you're, you're group right, for you're something right. that was done 1,200 years ago. I agree. I agree. Um, so this is the most clear example, again, of a sandwich. He starts to curse the fig tree. He goes into the temple. And then he, we come back to the fig tree. This is the sandwiching material of Mark, right? And... Um, Again, I push back on the cleansing of the temple because that word's never used in the text. He doesn't say cleansing. He doesn't say a time to cleanse it. I would say it's a curse, maybe. Because think about the way that um, he curses the fig tree and then the fig tree withers and it dies. He kind of comes in and pronounces some judgment on the temple and then give it several decades and what's going to happen to the temple? It's also going to wither. It's going to be destroyed, raised to the ground, actually. Um, so... I think curse might be a better explanation of this, actually. Uh, I just say that because I always hear it called the cleansing of the temple. My Bible has a heading that says, Jesus cleanses the temple. Does he cleanse the temple, though? Is that even his goal? Because cleansing assumes that once you cleanse it, then it's, it's like good to go, right? After I cleanse my bathroom, it's like, hey, it's ready to use again. Well, it says right? it drove out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. So. Are you saying an exorcism isn't a cleansing, Andrew? Mm. No, I am not. Exorcism is a cleansing. And this is a throwing out, right? This is the throwing out. Yeah, there is a sense in which this is an exorcism. You can't miss that language. He drives them out. That's the same language for driving out demons in Mark, especially. Um, which means that he's accusing, which means at least in some sense, those who are, what they are doing is seen as somewhat demonic. Um, so maybe economic exploitation is also demonic. Right? We're not used to thinking of it in those terms. 
but maybe uh, the powers and principalities that be, whenever they economically exploit others, maybe that's maybe that's the demonic, right? Um, also, the little phrase in there that I, I I think I tried to highlight this whenever we read it last week, but um, I want to emphasize it. Verse sixteen: He would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. I'm pretty sure Matthew and Luke don't mention that little detail, or John. Of course, not John. John's weird. Um, John's weird. John's doing something different. Uh, that's an odd detail, isn't it? So it's not just that he, he puts them out, the people who are being bad, but he won't let anybody carry anything through the temple. You Why? You can't use it as a bypass through the other street. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, maybe that's it. Like, like uh, the, uh, no, no through traffic. Yeah. Yeah, that's what Jesus says. Maybe? Yeah. I don't know. I almost wonder if this is like a prophetic sign. He's saying he's enacting in the present what's soon to come when there will be no more activity in the temple. And so he's like, it's inevitable. You might as well do it now. I mean, not really. The temple service will continue and the early Christians will worship in the temple courts at the very beginning in Acts, actually. But, but prophets sometimes will enact the future and the present because they're saying what's, what's to come is so inevitable that, uh, and you guys are acting like it's not inevitable, so I'm just going to enact it right now, and you'll, maybe you'll get the point. Does that make sense? Like, uh, Jeremiah does this. Jeremiah, like, weeps and cries and, and acts like he's already in exile. But he's not. Jerusalem's sitting pretty high in the hoe at the moment, actually. Ish. Um, but, and Israel's like, oh, we're fine, we're fine. And Jeremiah says, no, you're not. And so he walks around distraught. Isaiah walks around naked for three years to prove the point that, hey, you're going to be carried off naked in exile. And the Israelites are like, ah, we're fine. He's like, no, you're not. It's coming. It's inevitable. And as you, I'm sure as month to month passed, Isaiah's like, it's coming. And they're like, well, it hadn't happened yet. We'll see. We'll see, oh, son of Amon. But, but it did eventually, right? That's why they probably didn't have it, as much confidence in it. Yeah. Wait, in uh, Isaiah? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. It's easy to dismiss those prophets. Around, they're weirdos. You know, saying this, and it didn't happen. Yeah. Oh, prophets are easy to dismiss because they're weirdos. But God loves weirdos. What were we just talking? We were just talking about. Uh, yeah, you said it takes a weirdo to do uh, special ed. Yeah, maybe, maybe it takes a weirdo to be a prophet, right? Like God uses the weird to do something holy. Um, I don't know. I think there's something there. I, I wonder if maybe this is a prophetic thing because Jesus is more than a prophet, but he's not less than a prophet. He is a prophet, and so he is perhaps. <laughs> providing this prophetic sign like it's coming it's inevitable and so for the day or however long he's like we're not doing anything in here might as well quit anyway it's coming i don't know and then what about this quotation that he 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 quotes scripture it's always important to pay attention whenever scripture quotes scripture right he says is it not written my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations but you have made it a den of robbers What's with that quotation? First off, where's it from? Remember where it's from? Anybody got a footnote? Or a scribbled margin? I don't, but I'll bet it's Isaiah. Study notes. Is it Isaiah? I don't remember, actually. <laughs> it's a sort of phrase. This morning I thought, okay, we can't forget where that's from. It's got to be Isaiah. Like, I don't think it's a minor prophet. Um, it may be, though. You may be right. Almost, I think it's Jeremiah. It is Jeremiah. It's Jeremiah. Hey! My Bible degree was worth something. 
Not near the student loans I took for it, but. Uh, yeah, RIP. Uh, Jeremiah, do you have the, the reference? 7-11. Whoa. Spooky. <laughs> Jeremiah. Yeah, the temple sermon. Jeremiah 7. So there's actually, Jeremiah has what might be called a temple servant, uh, sermon, where he also has a, a diatribe against the temple for a moment. Uh, let's see, Jeremiah 7, leading up to that, let's see. Let's just, let, let's read the first little bit of Jeremiah 7. The, the word that came to Jeremiah from Yahweh. <clears throat> Stand in the gate of Yahweh's house, so the temple, right? Yahweh's house is the temple. And proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of Yahweh, all you people of Judah, you that enter the gates to worship Yahweh. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel, Okay, pause right there for just a second. Lord of hosts, you're familiar with this, right? This phrase shows up over and over and over. Have you, have you heard that song by Chris Tomlin? Um, the God of angel armies is always by my side. Have you heard that? Rosemary, what does it say for Lord of hosts? So are you starting with verse? Look in Jeremiah 11? 7. No, I started no, at three. the beginning of 7. Oh, okay. Jeremiah three, uh, 7, 3. Okay. Does it say God of angel armies? God of the angel armies, yes. That's how the message translates Lord of hosts. Israel's God. God of angel armies. So in the message, I really don't like how he did this. He puts all caps, G-O-D, and that's Yahweh. Um, it's kind of a breaking of convention. Um, but he means Yahweh whenever he puts all caps, G-O-D, instead of all caps, L-O-R-D. But um, the word hosts means, like, armies, right? And, of course, it's implied that they're angel armies. So... I think so. I don't know. Oh, the Lord so? also, I don't know, you see one of the primary forms of activity in the Old Testament of God is giving victory in battle or delivering defeats. This right? Like he sends, you know, he's not like just like, like the Lord of angel armies makes it sound a lot more abstract. Like this is the dude who's going to send Babylon. He's the guy who's going to mm. send Cyrus. He's the guy who mm. sent Assyria. Right? He's the guy who sends the Philistines. And he's the guy who's in. Yeah. Yes, all the armies. Yeah, like, Egypt, all, like he's literally yeah, yeah, yeah. the Lord of armies, right? That's yes. his standard form of punishment, right? Like, like it's that. not as common for the Lord to be like, I'm going to hit you with the plague or I'm going to hit you with uh, famine. It's this like fair. Some, one of your enemies is going to have physical power over you. That's a good point. Yeah, so it's more than angel armies. So maybe Eugene Peterson takes some license there. Well, my point is, that's where we get that song. Whenever you see Lord of Hosts, that's where we get that song. That's where I was going with that. But that's an interesting point. Yeah, the connotation is, is like, it is war, though. Armies. Like, so, like, human like, armies, but also perhaps more than that. Yeah, it's so, that, like, he, there's definitely that scene, right, with Elijah, where it's like, let me show you the yes. host there with us. Like, okay. Um, I'm not saying it's not yeah. angel armies. I just don't think that I would circumscribe it to that. I think what they're really saying is this is the God who gives victory in battle. I think that's, that's really what they mean. That's really helpful. Anyway, sorry to digress, but that, that fascinates me. Uh, verse 3. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings, and let me dwell with you in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. What is that? What's going on there? Do not trust these deceptive words. And then he repeats three times. The temple of Yahweh, the temple of Yahweh, the temple of Yahweh. People are, um, we've never seen this with megachurch phenomenon, right? Our church, though. 
Oh my God, just look at the fruit. Look at what God's doing. But, 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 well, yeah, it's a disaster under the surface. But, but, but look at all that God's doing, though. The, um, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, Mars Hill, Mars Hill, uh, or whatever. Um, it, it, they start um, taking pride in the institution itself rather than the God that they believed originally started that institution. Right? They start taking pride in themselves and in um, the complex itself. The numbers. The numbers. Mm-hmm. Certainly the numbers, yeah. You could probably private say that helicopter a little. or jet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You the high priest has his private helicopter. Home too. Say it again. You could say it a little closer to home too. Oh yeah. Oh, it. This happens on big and small scale. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I call it the megachurch phenomenon because I think they're the perfect embodiment of it. Oh, yeah. And I've seen plenty of small, very small churches that have a megachurch mentality. Oh, yeah. Which is very much like performance based, and and I'm not downing the megachurch. There's God does good things on big and small scales, right? And I've known people who are pastors and leaders of large churches that do good and beautiful things, things that I am jealous in the Lord about. But I do say I think there's a certain mentality, especially in American culture, that just like values that to an ungodly extent, and I mean that truly, an ungodly extent, like the the power mentality, right? Uh, the power power in politics plays. Um, and it sneaks into the church. I think that's what they're starting to get into. The temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. Well, this is God's temple. He's not going to destroy it. Right? Well, this is the Lord's church. He's not going to He's not going to bring us down. Huh? You know, we'll just we'll we'll just uh we'll put that that little uh scandal under the rug because this is God's house. It's all rooted in pride. It's it is. Yeah. Right? Rooted in our pride. Yeah. We say it's about God, but really it's about Well, look at me. I'm the leader of this great complex. And I hear from God, especially. But you guys might, but, but I do. You know. I, mean, um, I think with this scene in Jeremiah, I think a lot of it is, you know, we're God's people, and that means we can't lose. Mm-hmm. Like, just the yes. fact that we have the temple. This is where God has chosen to dwell. Yes. And so there's no way. That God would allow his temple to be destroyed. He wouldn't let this happen. Let, yeah. Let's put aside all of our behavior. That's not relevant. Mm. <laughs> Purely on God's favor. Yes. This temple is yes. going to stand forever. We are his chosen people. He gave us this temple. He can destroy us, but he wouldn't destroy his temple. And so he, 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 he probably wouldn't even destroy us because we are his chosen people. Yeah, it's that. Uh, how did you say it at the very beginning? You uh, said he wouldn't. How did you say it at the very beginning? This is God's temple. Like, uh, he wouldn't destroy it? Yeah, this is God's temple. He wouldn't destroy it. That's exactly what that mentality is. The temple of the Lord. The temple of... They, like, he's, um, he's making fun of them because of the way that they are overconfident in something that, that actually, to all appearances, might seem to merit their confidence. But, but uh, Jeremiah is pulling back the curtain and saying, no, it shouldn't. Because it's corrupt. And, and we're going to see more of that. Verse 5. For if you truly amend your ways and your doings, if you truly act justly one with another, if you do not oppress the alien, the orphan, and the widow, there's the trifecta of um, the, the people that we're supposed to take care of. Over and over again in Scripture, you see these three, sometimes four, added in. The, uh, the alien, the orphan, and the widow. Sometimes the poor is added in, but it's assumed those people are poor too. So, tomato, tomato, right? Uh, or shed innocent blood in this place. Have they shed innocent blood in the temple? Yeah. Yeah. They did? They killed somebody in the temple? Gross. They definitely killed people. I'm, I'm trying to remember. But they they have. Right at the, there was a prophet. He put his hands on the... Yeah. Yeah, there are... There have been prophets who were killed in the temple. Uh, uh, 
Jero, somebody, like somebody has their arms around the Ark of the Covenant yeah. at one point, and they drag him out. Like I, can't, I can't remember the story. Because he's like, the sanctuary, and then Solomon's like, sure, and then three weeks later he murders him. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, isn't it Zachariah who's married between somewhere in the temple as well? Doesn't Jesus mention this? Uh, yeah, there's someone who's mentioned a, a certain Zachariah murdered that's murdered between the altar and the door. Between the altar and the door. That's the phrase I'm looking for. So there are people who are literally murdered in the temple, but I wonder also if the prophets are somewhat symbolic of a certain murder that's occurring elsewhere amongst these people. Because we're talking about exploitation and oppression, right? These people are, are oppressing them. And so I think to some extent it's, it's symbolic, right? And even the physical deaths, actual deaths, I think are like representative of that. Yeah, do you want to say more to that or? Yeah, I was kind of wondering the same thing because he's talking about these particular groups of people, the orphan, the widow, and the people who are particularly economically and socially disadvantaged. So if you create some kind of situation within the temple in which somebody is socially or economically, um, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, marginalized, then you are essentially killing that person. Yes. They have no way of supporting themselves. They have no way of accessing the things. Like the holy things of God. Right. Like if you're making it hard for them to make sacrifices in the temple, like shame on you. Like yeah. this is God's house. They should be the most able to come and offer the sacrifices. Yeah, Jesus describes the temple in this period as being, in, in his period as being, uh, this is the, the, its leaders uh, devour the widows' houses, right? Yeah. Right, these yeah. are people who it's like, well, we'll just keep demanding more and more of the poor, but I mean, the amount that you give is a percentage, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, they devour widows' houses, Jesus says. I think that's in the seven woes or something like that. Yes. Uh, yeah. And so I, I, think there's a, I think there's a both and, right? Did this actually happen? Yeah, it happened some. But is this also like symbolic of a larger phenomenon? Yeah, I think so. I think so for sure. Uh, verse 6 if you do not oppress the alien the orphan the widow shed innocent blood in this place and if you do not go after other gods to your own hurt then I will dwell with you in this place in the land that I gave of old to your ancestors forever and ever and the idolatry issue Israel's always going after other gods it's a somewhat marital language going after it's like pursuing right uh, the metaphor in scripture for idolatry is, also, is always, always, always adultery. You have cheated on Yahweh, your husband, by going after these other gods. This is most clear in Hosea, <laughs> where Hosea has to marry a prostitute, and then she cheats on him, and then Hosea's like, what in the world? And Yahweh says, yeah, now you know what I feel like. I have been nothing but a faithful spouse to Israel, and what do they do? They cheat on me again and again and again and again. Go back and be faithful to her anyway. That's what he says. And, and Yahweh says, now you have some inkling of an idea of what I feel like after all these centuries, after I rescued my people out of Egypt. I mean, that's, that's a pretty potent metaphor, and it, it can get even, uh, even more descript than that in certain passages, especially in Ezekiel, but I'm not going to read that passage. Um, verse 8, here you are, trusting in deceptive words to no avail. Will you, now here's an interesting list, tell me where this list is from, verse 9. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known? What does that sound like? That sounds like a, a partial list of the ten. Yeah. That's a, that's a summary of the summary of the law. Right? Um, and he says commit adultery. I'm telling you, and I'm going to make this case this morning in my sermon, actually. Because I don't want to go too much into this. But I'm coming to realize, I think, that 
commit adultery is always in scripture a euphemism for uh, one or the other way. So if you're talking about human adultery, that's also a euphemism for divine adultery. And if you're talking about divine adultery, that's also a euphemism for human adultery. They seem to be two sides of the same coin as far as scripture is concerned. Does that make sense? I don't know. I, I, I think there's something there. But anyway. Uh, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, go after other gods, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we're safe. Only to go on dwelling and doing all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your sight? You know I too am watching, says Yahweh. Go now to my place that was in Shiloh, where I made my name dwell at first, and see what I did to it for the wickedness of my people Israel. Do you remember that? Yeah. What happened at Shiloh? Yeah, they destroyed the place at Shiloh. That was where Yahweh's, it was kind of like his first, the temple before the temple. I mean, not really a temple, but the place of worship before the tabernacle and then the temple and such. Uh, and he said, so in other words, Yahweh says, you think I won't do it? I've already done it. You think I won't destroy this place because it bears my name? Pfft, you're more prideful about my name than I am. I'll destroy it to the ground. I want your faithfulness. I've already done it. I've, I destroyed Shiloh. What makes you think I won't do it again? I'll do it again. I'll do it. And, and I mean, he will. Right? He does do it. He does do it. He does. He's going to. Um, let's see. Where did I get to? Oh, verse 13. And now because you have done all these things, says Yahweh, and when I spoke to you persistently, you did not listen. And when I called you, you did not answer. Therefore, I will do to the house that is called by my name in which you trust and to the place that I gave to you and to your ancestors just what I did to Shiloh. And I will cast you out of my sight just as I cast out your kinfolk, uh, all the offspring of Ephraim. I'll do it again. Okay, keep that in mind. Now let's go back to Mark chapter 11 and now let's think about what's going on there. Do you, do you feel the... I mean, no wonder he got himself crucified, right? I, I mean, you see what I'm saying, right? That's a, that's a bold act. And he's clearly quoting Jeremiah, which means he's clearly, like, drawing on this. He must see that what he's doing is akin to what Jeremiah was told to do. Go stand in the temple and tell these people, you think I won't? Try me. I'm going to. I've done it before. I'll do it again. Now, of course, it's, it's interesting because he did that to the temple, right? And now where is he standing? In the temple. So it did get destroyed, but then it got rebuilt. This is part of the imagery Jesus himself alludes to, right? Destroy this temple, and in three days I will I'll build it up again. Of course, referring to himself and his body. But also the imagery of the temple. Uh, temples and sacrifices are the key metaphor now for what it is we believe that we do as individuals in which the Holy Spirit is dwelling, right? Um, so in some sense, it was rebuilt, wasn't it? It was. Oh, yes. I mean, it's been rebuilt. Right? Like he, we are the temple. We are the temple. The Holy Spirit's dwelling in our hearts richly through faith. Uh, so it's, it's, it's similar, right? Like you, you see um, a cyclical nature to the history of Israel and of God's people. And you destroy it, you rebuild it, you destroy it, you rebuild it. Oh, yeah. Then it rebuilds in us. Sure. And we keep repenting because we are human. Yes. And have sin. Yes. Yes. 
because we also, yeah, so, so then we're bringing it to the individual scale, right? Yeah. He can destroy this temple too. Have we known people who have destroyed the temple? That is where the Holy Spirit dwells? Yeah. Yes. Have we done it? <laughs> yeah. 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 Lost faith. But can he rebuild it too? Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. And, you know, so I talk a lot about this, and I know that this might resonate more with these three than the rest of you, but I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Are you talking about ACU graduates? No. Where are we going with no. I'm ta- uh, I talk a lot about deconstruction. I feel like I've tried to talk about that before, and some people are like, I don't know what we're talking about. But it, I'm telling you, it's a big thing right now. People who feel that they have um, been taught things that were wrong in the faith, and they say, you know what, i gotta, I got to tear that down and then try to rebuild it. Well, there's a certain tearing down and rebuilding that happens naturally in our life anyway, and I, I, I think the imagery of the temple is helpful there too. That Yahweh himself is willing to destroy oppressive uh, structures when they no longer actually serve him. Right? So like, like the deconstruction movement, there's a lot of young people especially who are like, the church has become corrupt. We need to reform it, right? Well, it's, it's, it's like, yeah, it has in a lot of ways. That's okay. <laughs> like like uh, God is constantly uh, sending those agitators to come along and shake things up, right? Those prophets. Um, I, I think I've said this quote before. About every 500 years, the church needs a rummage sale. We get kind of comfortable and we have a bunch of crud. And about every 500 years, the church needs a rummage sale. That's what Phyllis Tickle says. Yes, that's her real last name. Phyllis Tickle. She says, about every 500 years, the church has to have a rummage sale. And if you look at Christian history, about every 500 years, there's some sort of big, like, shifting of the, of the ways, right? At about 500 AD, you start to get the, the controversies over, is Jesus human or God? Yes. And then you split ways over those who say, well, more human than God. Heresy. More God than human. Heresy, right? Uh, at about 1,000, the East and the West split. Orthodox and Roman Catholic split. At about 1,500, what do we get in 1,500? We're Protestants. Protestant Reformation. Luther, Calvin, Zwingli. Uh, and then at about 500 years, and we are what? We're at about another rummage sale. But this one's weird because technology and other things speed up the process in weird ways, right? You want to give me a kiss? Mm. Give Steve a kiss. Give me another one. Mm. You know, in a way, you talk about the, uh, he will, the, 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 the promises he will destroy mm. if and when. Yeah. And this is kind of what we think about the new heaven and the new earth. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's so Oh, we've trashed this place. I long for a new heavens, new earth. I long for the renewal of this creation. Because we have trashed God's good and beautiful creation. And he will cleanse the Oh, I think so. Oh, I think so. And, and, and here's something. The earth is his temple. The imagery in Genesis is clear that the earth is his temple. And uh, the new creation is the temple. All creation is restored to the temple. Um, anyway. I would even say that even more often, almost every generation. Yes. As you... When I was a kid and I mm. went through high school, college, and when I came out, you you kind of see behind the veil a little bit more than when you were a kid. You know, you're, yeah. you're used to just doing what you're told or you know learning that way. And then after a while, you go, wait a minute, there's holes in this either the logic or the, or the 
a theology, a, a theology, church tradition, or, or something. And you yeah. see, you see hypocrisy. You see um, things that the very statements cause problems. You know, the, yeah. the very traditions or yeah. whatever cause problems that were not intended, but definitely are led to. Um, but I think every every generation kind of goes through that um, time of questioning and. Yes. Uh, one of the, the phrases of the Reformation that I think is brilliant. Now, I'm not Reformed, right? So Reformed would be like Calvinist. I'm totally not Reformed. But they would say Reformed and always Reforming. Yes. May that be true. Reformed and always Reforming. The, the work is not done. Right? It's not done. It, it, it will never will be because God is constantly urging his spirit to unsettle us in holy ways so that we will not be con- not become complacent and become content with the status quo but always pushing us on to greater and greater heights right that's a holy it's an uncomfortable and an awful thing when you're in the throes of it but it's ultimately a holy and good and beautiful thing well, I think we have to do that in ourselves yes. as well as in our church yes it's refining big and small it's kind of like the fire the crucible that yeah. refines and Yes. And, and because we're never quite yes. pure, but we should always be striving. And, yes. And if we don't question, like a lot of times I hear, well, my, my father would be turning over in his grave or whatever. And it's like, Let him. and Johnny used to always talk about uh, almost like ancestor worship. Yeah. Your ancestors, what they believe meant more than what the scripture says. Or yeah. What God wants or, you know, so. I think we just have to be careful because yes. you don't want to throw the baby out with the no, water. There's certainly great not. things to hold on to, but there's also refining that has to be done all the time, or else yeah. you're just you're in the same spot. Yes. Same kind of like relearning. Re- yeah. And always learning. Yes. You, you never have it all. Huh. Yeah, you say this as an educator, right? right? Long, yeah, like long, that's long. for sure. But but especially in the faith of ours, yeah. yeah. Or and we're over time, but you go last. Well, in the sense, <laughs> no pressure. We've never got it all. No, no. Oh no! You know? And when we condemn those before us, who taught us say, "Well, they taught us wrong." Mm. They taught us the best of what they knew. Yes, they at did. The time. Yes, they and did. And that was their concept. Uh, if they love the Lord, they're saved. We don't need to be bashing. Yes. You know, I think of it like the weed and the weeds, right? Well, let's go pull up the weeds. It's not that easy. You do that, you're going to pull up the wheat too. Yeah. And shame on you if you destroy all that good wheat, right? And so instead, it is um, saved for the final judgment. Only only Jesus has the discerning eye enough to separate the wheat from the wheat. Okay, let me pray, and then we're going to finish. Lord God, thank you for my siblings in Christ who have gathered for Bible class this morning. I pray that it has blessed them as it has blessed me. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi. Oh, did a kiss. No, you can't have this. It's coffee's for donuts. That's what they say in Encanto.